Hello and welcome to Ad Creeps, the podcast where we dissect and correct the TV ads that raised us, phased us, and amazed us. I'm Al, and I'm here with my very best friend, D. It's me! It's D. It's D. Al, yeah? I have a moment I want to share with you. Okay. So, something happened. Oh. Uh, I was at physio. Okay. And uh, I was talking to my physio about this or that. And then I had my very first break in my voice. Oh, you had a little crack? I had a little creaky crack. <laughs> Sound like uh, the, the, the middlest Brady kid oh for like God. two seconds. Uh, and then it went away. But it was my first one. I was like, whoop, 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 there it goes. I look forward to hearing you do it on mic. <laughs> no, no, we'll cut all those out, right? Mm, yeah, just like we cut all mine out, right? <laughs> yeah, I sure did. We'll do a super cut. A super, voice crack <laughs> super cut. Oh my God. The worst thing ever, actually. I don't, I'm not listening through all that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to get like two more and then my voice is going to be like butter afterwards. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> it definitely doesn't still happen to me. No, absolutely not. <laughs> anyway, it was a moment. I'm so proud of yeah. you, my little boy. Yeah. <laughs> my little boy, full of pimples and weird hair. <laughs> Ugh. That's so, the vibe. I'm so sweaty. I'm so oh, sweaty. So sweaty and, and so goopy. So sweaty and goopy. Oh. <laughs> Can I? It's, this is just between us. Yeah, this today, is. Today, pre, previous to my shower, I was just, just, my body smells. I'm like, hmm. My downstairs smells like Harvey's. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? It's a whole new smell. But specifically a Harvey's. <laughs> no other fast food chain. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, there we go. It gets stanky down there. It's, it's just wild. different. It's just different. It's just different. <laughs> it's just different. It's, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> it smells like hamburgers. <laughs> like you can build your own. Oh, God. Oh, God. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. I was really interested in like antiquity era cultures. Okay. Which is usually defined as like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, real white people sealing stuff type of. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and at the same time, there were a lot of video games for kids starting to come out on the PC. Mm-hmm. The Learning Company in particular mm-hmm. made a ton of games throughout the 90s. Oh, I love the Learning Company. Yeah. Oh, are so, we going to talk about that? A little bit. Okay. So some of the games included Reader Rabbit yes. and the Treasure Mountain series, yes. and also a series called Super Solvers, which included a game called Challenge of the Ancient Empires. Oh, I don't know this one. This was maybe one of my first instances of finding a game I enjoyed, but found like relatively difficult and yeah. just threw myself against it again and again, like a brick wall until I oh could beat gosh. it. Oh my gosh. Tell me about it. What, what was it like? So you went through these different like challenge rooms, earning pieces of ancient artifacts that you could put together. And then music was like uh, sped up chiptune versions of classical arrangements like Brahms Symphony Number no. 1 and Tchaikovsky's Slavonic March. Oh my gosh. Where like if I hear those like specific, if I hear the actual orchestral version, I'm like, I've never heard this in my life. But if I hear the sped up chiptune version, I'm like, I'm in a zone. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the artifacts in this game that you could assemble is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Holy moly. And I knew nothing about what that meant or no. why the scroll was both dead and from the sea. Yeah. Uh, but it was like a cool pixelated image of an old piece of paper. Uh, but did you know that one of these ancient religious texts was actually written entirely on copper? No, I, I actually am a small child and I don't know why they're important or once they are <gasps> I'm dead. I'm so excited I I, to that's tell you. A blind spot. I was not really into the, the ancient stuff. I was. We had a lot of books about like um, ancient Rome and yeah. ancient, you know, different ancient uh, civilizations and stuff. And I would like to look through them and uh, partially looking at the wieners on the statues, <laughs> you know what I mean. 
But also reading them and being interested. Yeah, I was into like the mythology because I like the idea. I think to me as a kid, I like the idea of like just a bunch of hijinks. Yeah, I also these gods are going out. I also really enjoyed the mythology. We had like Greek and Roman myth, and then we also had a book of Haida myths that I was really into. Ooh. Yeah, I like I like all that stuff, but I wasn't into the older older mm. stuff. Well, mm. get into it. I'm getting into it. <laughs> We're talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls, brother. We are. <laughs> Jock stuff. <laughs> so for some extremely brief background. Yeah. It's not going to be brief. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Dead Sea Scrolls are these set of 2,000-plus-year-old writings on Jewish and Hebrew beliefs written between the 3rd century BCE and the 1st century CE. You're already yawning. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Noticing. No, I, I, I clogged it. I can't. I clogged it, bud. <laughs> you said numbers, and I just I like, did. I'm yeah, done. I'm gone. So it's religious texts, religious like uh, Jewish Hebrew texts, mm-hmm. uh, and they were written around the time. You know that time in history when all the religions were like, let's fucking blast it. <laughs> no, I don't actually. Why were they bl- what? Well, it was you know before it was BCE and CE. It was uh, before Christ and after Christ. Oh, not common era. Yeah, now oh, it's common era. Now we use common, common era. era, but prior we I used did not to use know the that. language. I did not know that. With BC, like you've heard, like three hundred BC. Like yeah, but I was thought it was common era, not. But I didn't know it was before Christ. Yeah, but it used to mean before Christ and after death. Whoa, AD and BC. But now we use BCE and CE, which is before common era and common era. I didn't know that. That's wow. Okay, I forget sometimes that I have that I took anthropology at school, and that's probably why I know some things. I was a history major, but I didn't get into the BC stuff. I yeah. guess. Well, I didn't know it was we. Okay, hold on. We have our whole time system just based on a guy. Yeah. That doesn't seem. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, Especially man. Especially a guy who like. Wait. So is. Because all of the like a lot of a lot of the record keeping that we used to build our timeline mm-hmm. was uh, based around religious scholars. Yeah, okay. Stuff, and then also the people in charge of the civilizations that were creating history, you know, were like if you were Rome, it was largely Catholic or Orthodox Christian or well, that's news to me, brother. Th- that religion invented our time scale. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here we are. But you know what? Checks out. Absolutely checks out. It does check out. Absolutely. So this is these were written at the point where it was all popping off. You now know. again, not well, not our time scale as white people, but ne- not necessarily other people's time scale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These scrolls are a, a big deal to a lot of different scholarly communities, like archaeologists, historians, linguists, and religious scholars, and they're important because they're primary documents containing some of what went on to become biblical canon. Oh. Yeah. So these were like early drafts and stuff. Huh. Are you telling me the Bible's not written by Gad? Yeah, that's what I'm telling wow, you. Wow, I'm Gad. learning so much stuff. Gad, yeah. he's here. Oh my God. Um. So, oh, so this is like first draft Bible stuff? Yeah, it's like it's stuff that would eventually go on to be in the Bible. I bet you it was like some embarrassing stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like <laughs> you wouldn't know how much Moses fucking fucked around. He's yeah. pissing on everyone. And Paul farted once. <laughs> God's like, we got to keep that in. It's hilarious. <laughs> keep that under wraps. Uh, and then it also showed a, a real diversity of thought in the way that Judaism was practiced and developed, along with how Christianity and rabbinic Judaism emerged. Oh, yeah, because they came from the same thing situation. Yeah. You, you, okay. And it was all happening in the same area. Here's the thing. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Here's the thing. You've opened a big gaping wound <laughs> of, like, 
my blind spot. I know fucking nothing about this. Okay. Literally just bits and pieces. Well, I'm going to tell you some things. And I used to work at a religious school. Listen, we're getting into more modern history soon. Okay, good. So you'll feel a little more grounded. Thank God. (laughs) So these scrolls were discovered by a handful of Bedouin kids just after World War II. They were just hanging, like, they found them in, like, the dirt? No, they found them in, in the series of caves. Um, in the caves? So these, oh, of course. These kids were looking for some animals that had gotten lost from, yeah. you know, like, a, a They were just livestock. hanging in caves. And they, they found these caves, and the it, the scrolls were in these, like, pottery jars. Okay, but what if the kids just wrote them? Al <laughs> blinked very... In ancient Hebrew? <laughs> Could, maybe. I don't know. Could you imagine that? In Aramaic? Yeah. Okay. It's for our kids. <laughs> The basis of two major religions are like a bunch of fucking kids. Just kids wrote them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why they had those weird pictures in the side in the side scrolls. <laughs> just a dick yeah. and balls on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, yeah. it's not the most blasphemous thing I've said. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so a few different parties were like, hey, those are ours, actually. Oh, OK. Uh, the Qumran cave complex where they are found is in the West Bank. In oh. modern day occupied Palestine. OK. I know about that. Now we're getting, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah, know yeah, about yeah, yeah. this. We know about this. Around the time that the, the scrolls were first discovered in 1946, that area was British-occupied Palestine. Yes. So the English were like, yoink, to the scrolls. Uh, but then in 1950, Jordan annexed the area west of the Jordan River. You could just do that. You could just do that at the time. You can move your border. Yeah. Um, how many were that? When you say Dead Sea Scrolls, were there's like more than one? There were about seven. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And one was copper. And lots of bits and pieces. Yeah. And lots of bits and pieces because they're in a jar. Yeah. I'd like to know who is the person to put them in there because I feel like if you're putting them in there, you don't want. Maybe it was like a mistake. Well, no, they, it, it was for preservation. Because otherwise, they wouldn't. There's probably a lot more scrolls they didn't find because they know, weren't in jars. You know what? <laughs> you know what? Um, you're just gonna. What? You're gonna teach us. <laughs> Go on. I know, I'm going wild card, baby. Because you know what else you put in jars what? back then? Peanut butter. Well, <laughs> now you're being silly. What were you gonna say? I forget. What are you playing jars? No, good, it's fine. Go on. We're playing a game of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's what the podcast is about. So, okay, so. It was British-occupied Palestine. Jordan annexed it. At the time, Jordan was a British protectorate known as the Emirate of Transjordan. Nice. (laughs) Cool. I didn't know Air Jordan was trans. Yeah. Air Jordan. Is that what you said? (laughs) No. Oh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) In, In their newly annexed region, they called the area east of the river Transjordan and... I cannot emphasize enough that this is not a joke. What? They called the West Bank Cisjordan. No. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Okay, I think we should respect Jordan's, like, gender-affirming pronouns and whatever they're dealing with, because obviously there's been some discussion. (laughs) Did anyone ask Jordan what they'd like to... (laughs) What their gender was? It's just interesting because it's like, you know that... That trans and cis have these definitions yeah. and have for a long time, yeah. but I've never heard them used in like a context outside of absolutely not. You know, gender. You we hear. I get really excited when I hear the prefix trans on like like anything tra- on anything. Trans am. Yeah, the whole Siberian orchestra is trans. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. 
the number one, the highway, is also trans. Did you know that? I get a little excited when I hear trains and it's got an extra letter. <laughs> That's why we love trains. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the, we had the trans Jordan and the cis wow. Jordan. Wow. Uh, and so Jordan had annexed the West Bank, and they were like, oh, we can handle those scrolls for you. And they put them in the Palestine Archaeological Museum. Okay. Then, in 1967, and you may have seen this one coming, the Six-Day War kicked off. Mmm. I didn't see it coming, but now I get it. And the museum was captured by the Israeli military. Yeah. Who were like, actually, all of this is ours. This Oopsie. museum, the river, all your land, your house, your rights, your livelihoods. Not respecting trans people. Or Palestinian people. Yeah. I mean, more importantly, really. <laughs> At the end of the war, that museum and the Qumran cave complex were still under Israeli control, along with the Golan Heights, the Sinai Peninsula, and the Gaza Strip. And as a result, Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser closed the Suez Canal for the following eight Hell years yeah. until the tensions there led to the 70s oil crisis that we discussed in the Sunshine Family episode. <laughs> I'm trying to connect some strings, we're just, we're baby. We're just stringing it, we're baby. We're just connecting some dots. <laughs> Do you want to know what Israel renamed the Palestine Archaeological Museum? No. It is now called the Rockefeller Archaeological Museum. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> and has been since 1967. That's the worst fact I've ever... <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it so awful? Guess why? Because he gave him money. Oh my god. That that gave me the chills in a way that no other fact that we've ever said on on this Isn't podcast is so bad. so bad. It feels bad. And we broke the news that the Lindbergh baby died. <laughs> we covered that we covered first. It. We covered it first. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, wow, wow. Ugh, yeah. So at this point, Israel had some of the scrolls in their Rockefeller Museum, and Jordan still had some that they had previously moved back to their museum in Oman, including the aforementioned Copper Scroll. Okay. Thank you so much for staying with me through that. I didn't. I it's know. all gone. My, in it's my brain. All, if listeners, you, thank you. <laughs> my two brain cells couldn't clasp onto anything. If I had to take a quiz, I would have failed. But you know what? I'm here and enjoying the ride. Well, it's going to get very strange and interesting. Excellent. In 1955, English archaeologist John Marco Allegro requested that Jordan send him and a team of Manchester University researchers the Copper Scroll so they could cut it into sections. What? Okay, that seems rude, though. Well, here's the thing. Because the copper was corroded, there was no way to unfold it and therefore to read it. Oh, it's actually like like thin it's copper. Ma- it's made of thin copper. Oh, I was thinking it was like on a big block. No, it's okay. like, a, like a scroll made of thin copper. Oh, so they're not like cutting it. Like into pieces, like rolls, like a jelly roll. You're actually roll cake. cutting it apart, like yeah. you would like a loaf of bread that was in the. If you put your loaf of bread in the freezer and you can't separate the the bread slices, you have to cut it apart. You know. mm. What? No, come on, right? Yeah, but no, it wasn't like sliced like horizontally, like into chunks. What was it sliced into? Well, it was like, you know, they would slice off a strip of, at the top of the roll, and then they would slice off the next strip, and then okay. the next strip. Like so a crepe cake. Like a... You have a, you have very thin crepes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I'm very hungry. I want to talk about bread and crepes. <laughs> oh, no, you're making me hungry. I'm hungry. Yeah, so the copper was corroded. There's no way to read it. Uh, and Jordan was invested in finding out what information it had. Okay. So Allegro translated the copper scroll, and he went on, like, a self-organized copper scroll publicity tour. 
doing a bunch of... Scrolls, 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 scrolls. scrolls. Uh, You did a bunch of broadcasts on BBC Two where you talked about his his interpretation of the scroll, to which all of his colleagues said, girl, what? Oh, no. Yeah, because, like, if this is the basis for religions, you could just say whatever the fuck, and they don't know. Or you could just just interpret it in a way. Whatever you want. Also, part of the text of the Copper Scroll was like an almost National Treasure style, like hunt, that gave clues about things that were buried around the cave complex. No, really? It said things like, in the ruin in the Valley of Akor, beneath the staircase that ascends towards the east, at a distance of 40 brick tiles, there is a silver chest (gasps) and its vessels weighing 17 talents. Oh, it's like a and d game. Yeah. Wow. Another one said, In the great cistern within the courtyard of the peristyle, along the far side of the ground, there are sealed up within the hole of the cistern slab, opposite its upper opening, 900 talents. See, this is this goes back to the, the my theory that the kids wrote it, because I think this is very childlike. Like, all the stuff that <laughs> Where I Where the kids get all the fucking money? It's not real. It's not real. It's like, it's fun. It's fun. It's having it's, fun. It's like a fun, it's fun, It's like a yeah. fun little hunt. Well, Allegro was like, that's just real and I'm going to find it. Really? And he <gasps> led an expedition to find the treasure, which was not successful at all. I was going to say, are we going on a hunt? No, it was not successful. <laughs> Probably because it got moved. Yeah. Someone, you know, when you're moving buildings, you just move shit. You forget what you wrote. Over 2,000 years? Come on. Yeah, come on. Come on. Come, come on. on. Come on, Allegro. Come on, come on, come on. He wrote a couple books that put him at odds with the other members of the Scrolls team and eventually left archaeology altogether to pursue theology. And then he oh. wrote his most controversial text. What would that be? Titled, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. John Marco Allegro argued that Christianity had originated as a fertility cult and followers ingested mushrooms to perceive the mind of God explaining the origins of the Eucharist as a ritual ingestion of Amanita muscaria, that big red toadstool motherfucker with the white spots. Oh, the one you told me that I should not eat? Yes. Well, uh, then I should have. No. And then I can be closer no. to God. No. So, uh, is he just making this up? He, the thing is, like, he is sort of pulling things from a bunch of different places and, like, leapfrogging across different theories in a way that other people think doesn't make sense and isn't provable. But he's like, I've cracked it. (laughs) He's national treasured this. Exactly. He's got the red strings. He's like, Jesus? Mushroom? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Jesus is the mushroom. I mean, that is a good guess that a lot of religion started out with a lot of, like, like drugs and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. I believe that. Also, Jesus is a mushroom is what this theory is called. Jesus is a mushroom? Yeah. Was he? Well, this is the this is what he's saying. He's okay. He's saying that Jesus never actually existed in history as a human being, but was a mythological creation born of psychoactive mushroom ingestion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So is it like a fever dream? Yeah, like all these like early fertility cults, which, you know, Christians don't like their religion to be called a cult at any stage. Or a fertility, specifically. (laughs) They don't like fertility, unless it's specific. It's very specific. Uh, Yeah, so he was saying like, there was no Jesus. He was uh, an allegory for this mushroom that they were all eating. That made made them see God. the, The mushrooms made the bread and the fishes. Okay. And part of the sea. Well, that I don't think that was him. No, I don't know. <laughs> Two dummies. <laughs> Two straight-up dummies. Uh, so the other scholars, uh, they absolutely roasted his yeah, ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very roastable. Yeah. 
There was a media frenzy over the book when it was published, and the publisher was like, sorry that we published that. Oh, our bad. <laughs> sorry we said Jesus was a mushroom. Uh, Philip Jenkins, a religious history at Baylor University, called it possibly the single most ludicrous book on Jesus scholarship by a qualified academic. All I can think about is, you know, the fucking, like, um, if you think Jesus was white, you were wrong. Yeah. Because if he was a real guy, you know, he would definitely not be white. And then there's another level now, like, oh, you think uh, Jesus was a brown man? No, he was a mushroom. He was a red mushroom with white spots. <laughs> Hair flick. <laughs> <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> now, you may ask yourself. Hmm? What the fuck does this have to do with advertising? I would never ask that of you. Or even television for that matter. I would You'd never like, I would never ask that of you. Why? Because we're professionals. I know we're going to get somewhere sometime. <laughs> oh, you're just long for the ride. I'm I so love happy. That. I'm in the you're in the driver's seat. I got my head sticking out of the car. It's sunny. <laughs> Where are my cool windbreaker? You got your tongue out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So okay. on May 17th, 1991, as the para was striking and the glass was nosting. <laughs> I like that, actually. That was very good. <laughs> it made my brain do a TikTok, and I'm like, oh, I got it. I got that joke. <laughs> Your brain did a TikTok. It did do a TikTok. Uh, there was an interview between musician Sergei Kiryokin and reporter Sergei Sholokov that aired on Leningrad television program The Fifth Wheel. It was a program similar in tone to 60 Minutes. Okay. And this is in 1991. Okay. So, like pre-falling of Soviet Union or very 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 close very close to the Uh, fall I'm gonna uh, (laughs) the Berlin Wall is gonna we can't (laughs) it is funny though it's very funny (laughs) we're just normal men Uh, we're just normal men we're just normal men So, um, Kuryokin a musician relatively unknown for his noise orchestra group Pop Mechanica was pretending to be a historian. Okay. And the, they both of these guys were in on the joke. We do that all the time. Though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do that all the we're time. We're doing it now. We're doing it around. He talked about the result of his quote-unquote research mm. using logical fallacies to prove that Vladimir Lenin had consumed such large quantities of psychedelic mushrooms that prior to his death, he himself had become a mushroom. <laughs> he was more mushroom than man. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. That's a lot of mushroom. It's a lot of mushroom. Mm. But because censorship was just beginning to recede in the Soviet Union, a lot of stories, true and false, were disseminating into the grapevine thanks to the release of the state's tight control over the flow of information. Oh, okay. And as a result, it's reported that up to 11.3 million viewers took the segment at face value, despite its ridiculous claims. Seriously. That he was a mushroom. Because all of these people in the Soviet Union have been told a party line for so long. Yeah. And now they're just getting to the point where they're starting to hear other stories where it's like, that's not what happened. Here's what really happened. And they didn't want you to know that. Okay, okay. So they're hearing so much information. And they're like, we have to, We're. this is what we believe. Yeah, but then they hear a news program, like a serious news program, mm. and they don't know that it's doing a prank. Oh. I mean, even a, I can name things in my group files where this is same happened, but it wasn't the Soviet Union. And it was just people yeah being dumb truly and not having media smartness (laughs) okay okay so with the television news suddenly peeling back the layers on the soviet truth onion (laughs) kuryokin's prank reminded the nation that just because things were easing up they still needed to think about whether the things they were hearing were true yeah it's a lesson that the english populace could have used on april 1st 1957 al i think i know this do you does it have to do not with mushrooms 
but with spaghetti. Yes! It has to do with spaghetti! Yes! <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> yes! Absolutely! I'm so glad that you're excited. Oh, I love this. I love this. I love this. Okay. So as John Marco Allegro and a team of Manu archaeologists studied the Dead Sea Scrolls, a segment on the BBC yes. Current Affairs series Panorama aired an informative segment on the spring harvest season in Lake Lugano, Switzerland. Over footage of a beautiful Swiss orchard, the voice of veteran journalist Richard Dimbleby, the BBC's first war correspondent, the go-to voice for events like the coronation of Queen Elizabeth and the funerals of George VI, JFK, and Churchill, described the events in his usual measured tone. It isn't only in Britain that spring this year has taken everyone by surprise. Here, in the Ticino, on the borders of Switzerland and Italy, the slopes overlooking Lake Lugano have already burst into flower, at least a fortnight earlier than usual. But what, you may ask, has the early and welcome arrival of bees and blossom to do with food? Well, it's simply that the past winter, one of the mildest in living memory, has had its effect in other ways as well. Most important of all, it's resulted in an exceptionally heavy spaghetti crop. <laughs> the footage showed local women diligently harving oh. individual strands of spaghetti from the tree. So funny. Before laying them in the sun to dry. So funny. It's so Was it, is it like floppy spaghetti? It's like and floppy they, and, and they, they like dry? just taped them to trees. Oh my god. And they lay them down to dry. Oh, Ugh. An art. The BBC switchboard fielded calls for the next two hours consecutively. <gasps> some obviously joining in on the joke. But many others called asking how they could purchase a spaghetti bush of their very own. <laughs> Again, owing to the prestige of the program Panorama and the BBC standing as a newscaster, many English viewers swallowed the bait, hook, noodle, and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear why they might have? Because it looked very good? Mmm. There's more reasons than that. Why, why, why? Mushrooms. No. Everyone was on mushrooms. They were all on mushrooms. Yes. They were all mushrooms. They were all mushrooms. So just three years before that segment aired, 14 years of wartime food rationing had finally come to an end. Oh. And the only spaghetti available was the kind that came pre-sauced in the can. <gasps> oh, that's funny. It seems wild to think that it took pasta so long to penetrate the English palate. But if you think about the context, it makes a lot of sense. They didn't know. They didn't know. You know, when you're stewing on an island, sometimes you don't know things. You don't know things. When you're stewing on an island and your empire reaches from shore to shore, but you're kind of like scared about everything. And you don't have that the sort of rich cultural context yeah. from other communities. You take you take what you want, but you don't you don't care about the other stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. So emigration from Italy to England between 1900 and 1940 was limited due yeah. to anti-immigrant sentiment from Britain and a desire to keep potential emigres in the country from Italy's fascist government. So xenophobia made them dumb. Yeah. Mm. Those that did arrive during the interwar years were subject to discrimination during the conflict, including detention, asset seizure, and deportation, much like Italian-American and Italian-Canadian immigrants. Italian culture remained in insular pockets of larger cities, and the cuisine wouldn't really begin to be adopted into the English mainstream until the 1960s. The Gee. late 60s. Jeez Louise. Yeah. By 1978, the entire world was familiar with the BBC spaghetti hoax, including Italian-American-owned pasta manufacturer San Giorgio, <laughs> who put out this puckish ad poking fun at the gullible Brits. 
Oh, we don't watch that? Yeah. Oh, I wanted to watch the spaghetti. The, the... Well, that's not an ad. Oh, it's not an ad. <laughs> I guess that's it's not. It's a news segment. Are you going to post the spaghetti? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love watching it. It's that's very a... good. Uh, we're here. Uh, if you want to watch this ad or our local ad, you can find them in our sources. We'll return after these messages. It's harvest time at the San Giorgio Spaghetti Farm, where San Giorgio grows the world's tastiest spaghetti. The perfect tender pasta is picked at the peak of flavor and separated in the sun to dry, because San Giorgio believes spaghetti should never stick together. Now, there's nothing like San Giorgio's fresh farm flavor. Of course, you know spaghetti doesn't really grow on trees, but if it did, nobody grows spaghetti like San Giorgio. Welcome back to the show. I love that yeah. ad. It's really good, I isn't it? I love that ad. And that brand is everywhere. Yeah. I've, we've had it before. I love that ad. So they're basically like, can these fucking Brits? <laughs> these right? dummies. Also, Britain, listen, I know you get a hard time from us, and you should, so <laughs> I'm not sorry. You get a hard time for us two trans people. <laughs> Take it. Take it. It's your punishment. Um... We see, and this was what, 19, what what year? This ad? Yeah. This was in the 70s. Okay. Yeah. And the, so it was very recently after the... Yeah, it was like 15 years-ish. Okay. Um, so you have a family who is harvesting spaghetti, and you have the aunties, the aunties and the nonas, and they're picking floppy spaghetti off of, <laughs> I think, in like an orange tree. Yeah. It looks it like, looks an, like orange an, tree. an orchard. Yeah. And uh, and the spaghetti is so long and so floppy, and then they lay it out in the sun. And my favorite part is when they cook the spaghetti, and the spaghetti's on a huge ass plate, yeah, like a family style plate, and it's so sloppy. And they they put such big spoonfuls, and they roll it up, and they put it in their mouths. I'm like, I'm that's all I want. I know I'm so mad at myself now because I want spaghetti. I want so spaghetti bad. so bad now. And I, you know, the listeners don't know this, but we have a uh, we have an annual tradition. We do have an annual tradition where on New Year's Eve we eat. A lot of spaghetti. It's called spaghetti getting, <laughs> and uh, we our producer makes us um, what pavlova garlic bread and garlic bread, yeah, and pavlova and big old fucking just big old so meatballs. much spaghetti, and we eat and we're jolly and we blast into the new year that way. <laughs> you know what's wild is what? that I have I've always had like quite a strong gag reflex, yeah, but I will pierce the back of my throat with a fork if it has spaghetti on it. <laughs> I will shove it so far in my mouth. <laughs> for training your gag group <laughs> but only spaghetti but only spaghetti <laughs> you must be this thin to ride <laughs> angel hair pasta oh it was good and then at the end um, someone is holding up a little napkin and it says you know that spaghetti doesn't grow on trees mm-hmm. but if it did no one would grow spaghetti better than this ad. it's just cute it's very cute it's I really cute. like it I like it <laughs> now rip it to shreds now rip it to shreds um, 2023 2023 in our in the year of our mushroom lord 2023 um after a a m after mushroom uh, (laughs) i think if you did a a goof like this you still oh because the onion well the onion but i just think like media literacy is bad well, and it's only gotten worse that's what i'm saying is that there are so many people that take the onion at face value yeah, and yeah. other like sites like that god and take like the new york times at face value hey. um i think we just do a fucking spaghetti ad and this grown from trees 
I want that. Yeah? I want to do, like, they're still around San... San Giorgio. Gio- San, San Giorgio. Gi- San Giorgio. San Giorgio is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love... I love... My favorite... One of my favorite videos of all time is a small Italian baby speaking <laughs> with her hands. Oh. Because she just... That sounds so, so cute. It's very cute because it's just, it's ingrained. Like it's yeah. just, and I'm a hand speaker. I've got Italian in, in me. That's what makes me loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but just the innate like handability is very good. Handability. Yeah, you know. Anyway, I want the same, I want the same commercial. Okay. I want, we're in a beautiful field in California. Uh, not, not Italy because our food comes from California now. Uh, but it's flooded. So yeah. then we have to go somewhere else. A beautiful Washingtonian orchard, and it's like full of the, the migrant workers who've had to come up from California yeah, because it's flooded. Yeah, um, and they're like, you know what? It's been hard. It's been hard out there. Our food sources are are dwindling, but us at San Giorgio, we're still growing spaghetti the way our Lord has wanted us to <laughs> since the beginning of time. And they're picking the spaghetti. Mama really showed fun. us. But you know what? I think I want to up the goof okay. because when I when I was reading about the spaghetti goof. Um, I pictured, instead of coming from trees, like a um, a picture of like a time lapse of the ground, like a fertile field oh, and the spaghetti growing. I love like that. that. Like asparagus, you know yeah. what I mean? And so they're plucking the the spaghetti out of the ground that way. I think, and now you should, if if you don't mind me. Yeah, go on. I think that they should also have other varieties of pasta. I like that. Like a few silly, like corkscrewing out of the ground. Yeah. Little bow ties on bushes like berries. Oh my gosh. I like the idea of the few silly, or like cantaloni, like um, how Brussels sprouts grow, you know, yeah. in the bushes. I like that. I want to see the other types of pasta, and I want to see them grown in very interesting ways. I would love that. I think I want. I think I want that. I want it too. I think I. And also, I'm so hungry. I'm so fucking hungry. <laughs> I'm so hungry. Oh my god! Uh, but that's the ad. Yeah, that's I think very cute, very simple, and also dunking on the British. And April Fools. April Fools. <laughs> April Fools. Your god is a mushroom. Do you have a local ad we can eat? I sure. I think I do actually. Oh. Uh, if you want to watch it, <laughs> go to our sources. <laughs> Tops is a spot for lottery, banking, money orders, photo processing, postage stamps, automatic tellers, photocopies, Western Union, utility payments, and more. Tops never stops working for you. Tops never stops. Oh boy. That theme song. It's really good. I'm not now folks, I'm not a top, but that made me want to be one. No, I am and <laughs> I enjoyed it. You I I think you need that t-shirt. That could be me. Yeah. Tops never stops. And that's what I need in a top. They're just like the way that the, the melody line was unexpected to me. Yeah. Tops never stops. Now, I don't know what tops markets do. A lot. Because, well, the, yeah, they did list out a bunch. But the weird thing is the two people at the beginning, they had, have like grocery store bags. Yeah, and they had a beautiful scene of like the produce section. Can you, there's 
looks nothing to me like as nostalgic as the I, the sensation of being mm. in a produce section. You're seeing all of this mm. green stuff. It's like a bounty. It's like a cornucopia. <laughs> and then the little like spritzers come on. They yeah. start spraying everything. And it smells like fresh and green and beautiful. I, and at the Safeway, at our local Safeway, do you know they do a little thunder sound before? No. It? Yeah. <laughs> you can get a little thunder at the Safeway. They do a little thunder sound before it starts spraying as like a warning. <laughs> So if your hands are in the carrots, you got to go, oh, it's going to start spraying. I would purposely, like, stick my head in it (laughs) when I was a kid. That's how you get salmonella, brother. (laughs) Uh, But this tops, I think it's a market food, but also it has, like, Western Union. Check cashing, post office. Yeah. So it's like a, I guess it would be like a... uh, London Drugs? Yeah, or like a, but a London Drugs plus, because it has groceries. London Drugs has groceries. Well, but they don't have, like, vegetables. No, they don't have vegetables. I bought eggs at a shopper's once. Oh, yeah. they ha- Now, they actually have, like, a... They're starting to have a little expanded, like, yeah. section that has milk and cheese and egg, like, perishable stuff. Here's know? here's fucking my day. I'm like, oh, I got to go to the grocery store, and I got to the post office, and then I go to shopper's, and then I, get, I can buy eggs and send my mail. You fucking kidding me? <laughs> We're living in 2023, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Were the eggs $8? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> was my meal very expensive? Absolutely. <laughs> well, you should just eat mushrooms and you'll become one. Yes. That's my new plan. If you are a top, um, <laughs> you can send us your local ad at gmail.com. And if you're a bonus whole boy like me, um, you can <laughs> find us on Twitter or Instagram or... <laughs> Al's recovering. Co-host and TikTok. Yeah. And... Where else? Anyway. Tumblr? Yeah. Wherever. We're diversifying. Yeah, we're, we're so our come portfolio. Find us. Come find us. I dare you. <laughs> Until next time. We are signing, signing off. off. Hmm, but first, where's my spouse?